This is our March book discussion. The book is the first volume or the first book of Machiavelli's discourses on the first decade of Titus Livius, one of the masterpieces of political analysis. Those of you who wish to read the Italia, here's an edition. This is I'd never read it in English before. This is, so this is, I've been whipping through it in English, and it says, seems to be quite good. <laughs> Discorsi sopra la prima decca di Tito Livio. <clears throat> Here is a book given to me by a friend. This is a, a, a volume of, of, il, of the <clears throat> Prince, Il Principe. And uh, it says... On the title page, Manuscrito trovato nella carrozza di Bonaparte dopo la battaglia di Mont Saint-Jean. The manuscript was found in the carriage of Bonaparte after the battle of Mont Saint-Jean, 1815. So, so you get Bonaparte's notes, Napoleon's notes, on the prince, which is a kind of blueprint for how <laughs> Bonaparte would take power. But then what I love is the introduction. This book is, I guess, 92 the introduction by a Italian businessman who was entering politics at that time, Silvio Berlusconi. <laughs> I three, three, three in one. Trump is next in line. Well, Trump is the kind of uh, kind of uh, faux Berlusconi. I mean, uh, right, right. That's what he's uh, he's Berlusconi light. Well, his ladies haven't been revealed yet. Oh, well, he just, yes, they have. I mean, Trump has always been open about his uh, his marriages and girlfriends. So what do you mean I'm an anti-feminist? I love women. I've always loved women. Well, the ones around him seem like they're treated very well. Yes, they all, yes. you know, they all they testify are, they are to it. They are extremely handsome, yes. too. So the, 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 problem, the problem of reading Machiavelli today, and it's a problem especially uh, uh, Christians, especially Catholics have, the Machiavelli problem is that we know we're taught from high school on that the prince is a manual for how a tyrant <laughs> takes power. You know, it's a blueprint for despotism, ruthless and amoral, and that this is Machiavelli. And um, this is simply a, a completely false reading of, uh, of Machiavelli. And uh, his greater work, the Discourses on Livy, which took him uh, many, uh, much more time to compose, is where we find uh, the, the deeper aspects of his political thought. And it's in the Discourses that we can see some of uh, what, what Machiavelli was trying to do. And before going on to discuss the, the themes of the work, or any aspect of Machiavelli's career. And I want to emphasize, anytime you want to break in with question or comment, please do, because I tend to run on. His, he, had, he had essentially three objectives. The first one was to restore republican government in Florence. That is his most local objective. The Medici had ruled Florence despotically. They had bankrupted the place and co completely corrupted the body politic getting rid of, once the Medici were got rid of temporarily, it was the hope that they could restore some sanity and some decency to Florentine life. 
Um, <clears throat> secondly, to maintain the independence of Florence and how to maintain the independence of other Italian city-states against various uh, encroachments. They were constantly fighting each other. You know, Florence against Pisa, Pisa against Florence, you know, Florence against Siena, Pisa against Genoa, mm -hmm. Luca. I mean, it was, it was <coughs> never, never ending. And by the way, Machiavelli does not see this as entirely a bad thing because it's only through conflict that you hone your ability to defend yourself. And he has some interesting remarks on that, on the, the struggle between the plebs and the patricians in Rome, that this was not necessarily a bad thing. But finally, um, to unify his, 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 one of his overriding <coughs> desires was how to unify Italians and the Italian city-states against foreign invaders, in particular foreign mercenary armies made up of Germans and, uh, and English and French unemployed soldiers, but also against the, uh, the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, these German emperors periodically coming across the Alps, rampaging uh, in virtually every generation. Now, when he wrote The Prince, when he wrote The Prince, it was the third item that he had on his mind. He had seen how Cesare Borgia, operating with his uh, so-called uncle, or rather father, the, the Pope, uh, Pope Alexander, how they had succeeded time after time in, base, in defeating uh, foreign troops. And the goal was, if you could have some uh, deep, brilliant, brave leader like that, or if you could have, when it looked likely that the Medici could control both the papacy and the resources of the Florentine state. Perhaps you could reorganize Italy in such a way as to protect itself from the people they then called and still call the barbarians. One of the constant cries of Italian politics for, oh, eight or nine hundred years has been forty i barbari, barbarians out, meaning Germans, French, English. Now, it's perhaps their response to American tourists. <laughs> The, uh, so, the, 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 the source of each one of these problems is, is uh, for Machiavelli, was clear. The Florentine Republic had been corrupted by the Medici takeover, beginning with Cosimo the Old. And, and although Cosimo was himself a wise and prudent uh, prince who didn't uh, reach too far, that under his successors... Piero the Gauti and, uh, and uh, his son Lorenzo the Magnifico, the worst disaster that ever could befall an Italian uh, city-state. I mean, he was the Nero and Caligula of Italian politics. Of course, it's very interesting. Lorenzo goes down in history as the most wonderful person in, the his in, 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 in Italy. He, ba he, ba he bankrupted himself, he bankrupted his family, and he bankrupted uh, the city. I mean, a completely incompetent rule. Brilliant person. Wonderful, charming, you know, but uh, he ruined his home. Then uh, the, 
The uh, independence of the Italian city-states was threatened by the constant power politicking uh, within, for example, Florence, the debt run up by the Medici. But of course, the debt had been run up earlier by, uh, because of Florentine wars of conquest. They wanted to conquer Pisa and Siena. They were constantly, and Arezzo, constantly, and, and, and after having done in Prato and other uh, smaller cities. To do this, they quit relying on their native troops. The citizen soldier became a thing of the past, and instead they had to hire mercenaries. Well, what happens when you hire mercenaries? They want to be paid. And if they're not paid, they go to the other side. Well, eventually, the great, who was the biggest holder of debt during that period? And it was Cosimo de' Medici. And at some point, he just, you know, call, called it in. And so he had to become, they had no, they basically ended up having no choice. They had to make him dictator. Finally, the, uh, the, the Italian, Italy's exposure to foreign invasion is partly the result of the rivalry of great powers like Milan, Venice, and Florence, but, also, but more importantly, the rivalry between the two forces of the, of the German Empire, otherwise known as the Holy Roman Empire, the German Empire on the one hand, and the uh, Papal States on the other. By Machiavelli's time, the papacy was in the hands of gangsters, people that Al Capone would have been ashamed to shake hands with. People like uh, Giulio uh, Rovere, the, 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 Julius II. People like uh, the, the two Medici popes, especially uh, 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 Leo X. It's a series, uh, the, the Borgia pope. It's a series of incredible, cynical, ruthless people. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, well, we could talk a little bit about Machiavelli's take on, on the Catholic Church because it's very strongly colored by not just the immorality and ruthlessness of these popes. Julius II wore a breastplate and led, led men in battle, not to conquer Muslims, but to conquer uh, Christian city-states within Italy. <clears throat> One important theme... I'm just trying to hit you know the big picture in Machiavelli and and in the introduction to the Oxford edition uh, the she I think it's a she makes a, makes a good point and that is Machiavelli believed that you could study Rome Roman history and derive example derive understanding for his own time because he did not believe that human nature changed. Whereas one of the delusions of the Renaissance, and, uh, and she picks on uh, Pico della Marandola quite, quite fairly, one of the delusions was that liberating themselves from the shackles of superstition, namely Christianity, that, that uh, Renaissance Italians were now making a breakthrough. You know, they were... They were, getting, they were going beyond the, the limits of human nature. Machiavelli didn't believe this at all. He was a complete skeptic. Basically, people are scum. They act, they act on motivations of ambition and greed and jealousy, envy, and these, these, this never changes. And um, the, the, the problem, well, the point is that Machiavelli had a Christian imagination. 
he knew that the, the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things. And he, nothing would, would, cha would change him from that. So considering the evilness of human nature, how do you deal with this? Um, the, the, finally, before, before going on a little more detail, um, I would say that one of uh, the great advantages of reading Machiavelli is he never flinches. He looks at the way human beings are. He knows that it's possible to create a state in which people have some freedom and, and that your country is relatively free. It takes enormous energy and prudence and effort to maintain it. And he's trying to find what are those principles by which you could have a free country. And that it's important for him never to be seduced by, uh, by lies. Like, we have the Constitution of the United States. We have the church. We have this. We have that. Now look at the reality of what people are. And you won't be tricked. You won't be tricked. Not to be a fool is, I think, the one great lesson we can learn. You know, since I started, I started, I had no interest in politics when I was a, a younger person. All I wanted to do was study Greek and Latin. And uh, most of what I understood about politics, I got, as Machiavelli did, I got from studying the ancients. Uh, for me, it was especially reading Thucydides was a revelation. But uh, eventually, the only way you can understand politics is not to lie to yourself about it. And if you, if you want to die as foolish and stupid as you were the day you were born, then just believe newspaper editorials, believe what one party says about the other or, or itself, believe what political candidates tell you. And it's, it's, you know, it's Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. Over and over and over we believe the lies. Machiavelli is one way of liberating yourself from these lies. Now, <clears throat> his power analysis is based on the idea that, this is, that, that these are, there are universal things in human nature and things that happen over and over and over. And he says explicitly, if you study Roman history, you will understand your own time because things, things don't change. But it's also true, and I think, don't think Machiavelli understood this very thoroughly, that things had changed in the previous 200 years in Florence. There were developments which he was perhaps too close to to understand completely what they were, and he would read those back into history. The development, and, I, and I, I'm going to do this in 45 seconds. Medieval Italian towns had originally been governed by a kind of duality. The local bishop, on the one hand, was one source of power, and the local count, who was a deputy from either the, the Charlemagne or Charlemagne's descendants or from the Holy Roman Emperor later, those were the sources of power uh, and legitimacy. A third source began to grow up in the various craft guilds and commercial guilds within the city. And those guilds were corporate, corporate entities. They, they were self-governing. They, 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 they managed transgressions against themselves internally. They were like a state within a state. 
Those guilds eventually had to regulate affairs among themselves, and they created an institution, the, a common guild, the commune, which is a super corporation. The commune becomes the government of Florence as the uh, as the uh, as Florence liberates itself from both uh, papacy and empire. The commune becomes the government. But the commune is not, for, it's not like a, a Greek commonwealth, it's not like a Greek city where we're all in this together. The commune is owned by, it's, 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 it's a possession of the major guilds, the gold workers, the, 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 the money tra changers, the, the, the uh, foreign wool working guild, I mean, all of those, they own the city. So they create... And then, of course, the lesser guilds create uh, an, a rival institution called the popolo, the people, and they, they, they share power, they go back and forth, and it's a long, complicated history. The bottom line is something new in the history of the world is created, and it's a kind of capitalist private corporation, which is called, we call, the state. The, Ro the Greeks and Romans had nothing quite like this. They had government, they had authority, but they didn't have what Machiavelli and his followers call lo stato, the state. And the reason that word comes into existence now is because the state, you know, it's something that endures. It's a, it, 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 it lasts, it's independent of the citizenry. And by the way, the word citizen, you read Shakespeare and, and you, say, you see somebody's described as a citizen. What does that mean in Shakespeare? What does it mean? Does it mean, well, obviously they're not citizen in the sense we're citizens, they live in a monarchy. No, a citizen, a citizen was a right-bearing member of the corporation known as the City of London. You're a burger. So a German burger, a, a London citizen, a, 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 and, and, these, and in it, an Italian, a, a cittadino, is not somebody who happens to reside in Florence. He is a member of one of the corp... He is a right-holding member of one of these corporations that controls the comune. And the whole idea that government exists apart from the people, this is something emerging in late medieval and Renaissance Italy, it's something new in the world, people didn't understand it. Machiavelli understood it thoroughly. He didn't understand how novel it was, but he looked at it honestly and objectively, and he could see <clears throat> that political life in a, in a, in a commune-based commune commonwealth, that political life was the pursuit and the holding of power. And hence, his, this, this new contribution to political thought, which is to analyze it in terms of, of, uh, of, of, of how to gain and hold power. Do you have any questions or comments so far? It's all sort of highbrow, but... Uh, on, on the citizen, yeah. uh, Paul was a citizen of Rome. Was yeah. that, was That's that... a different thing. See, Achivus Romanos means you have been given citizen rights as a member of the Roman Commonwealth. That's a different word. It's a di it's, well, it's this, well, it's a kiwis... But it, 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 which then produces the word kiwitas, which means, uh, which means a commonwealth, which then gives us the Italian cittadino. But it's a different status. It means you, are, you have political rights. Whereas in Florence, you're, you're, you have political rights as long as you belong to 
one of these guilds. For example, if you're a, a member of a noble aristocratic family that they don't like, that the Guelph party in Florence didn't like, you were a citizen. And if you struck a member of one of the guilds, or if you struck a, a lower class person, the fine would be equivalent to like $20 million. Well, I can't pay that. Well, you got, you got any brothers? Well, together we can't pay it. You got any cousins? Well, they can't pay it. Well, then everybody to the fourth degree is now exiled because you don't have rights. You don't. And uh, one of the things that uh, Machiavelli alludes to, and by the way, this is a very obscure aspect of uh, European history. And I've, been try I've been grappling with this for 20 years, trying to understand it through, through the documents. But Machiavelli talks about this problem. You know, there, there are various conflicts going on, and well, when so-and-so was coming to power, people said that his power base was people who lived in the contado. That is, they lived in the countryside. And those, you know, there's like, they come from Winnebago. They're not from Rockford. They don't belong here, and they shouldn't be able to vote or exercise. Well, wait a minute. They're part of the Commonwealth of Florence. Yeah, but they're outside the walls. They don't count. We're, we were very happy. Not to be connected to Rockford, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Winnebago. <laughs> but, but this new emerging power structure in the cities yeah. is com competing with the landowners yes. that, yes. that, that, they, that, that uh, constituted the, the main power structure until then. Yes. And we can see that all the way through the French Revolution. Yes, that's least. right. Well, what happens is, in Florence, their solution is to drive the nobility out. To, they, land, they pass special laws saying that if you are nobile, you, you labor under all sorts of obligations. And that's why you could exile whole noble clans from, for, for the least infraction. Now, it's not to say that they didn't, to some extent, deserve it. My, my analogy is... Imagine you're in Dodge City in a, during the big rush that the cat and you 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 you're bringing a, a a cattle drive through Dodge and the cowboys go into town and they had a nice phrase it's the you hoorah the town that is you you shoot guns off you get drunk you kill anybody who gets in your way this is pretty much the way the uh, the the rural aristocrats. Behave. And by the way, the rural aristocrats all have German names. They're all named things like Alberti and Guidi and all of the, all Germanic, because they had come in for first the Lombards and then, and then Franks under Charlemagne and his sons, and then more came under, under various uh, German rulers. So the rural aristocracy is Germanic and the city population is predominantly. Uh, uh, old as Roman stock, so it's really it's it's an ethnic conflict among other things. In Pisa, they in, in Venice they intermarry, and that those are and they produced a more stable uh, sort of society. In Pisa, it's interesting the, the the German aristocracy said, yeah, okay, maybe we don't we don't know much about sailing, but getting a fleet of ships and going on and you know knocking off Muslim towns and getting all the money and. You know, this is heroic activity worthy of us. Whereas dying wool, changing money, they weren't very interested in that. So in Florence, 
there, there, they, there, there's a big cleavage between the old Germanic aristocracy. And when Dante goes into exile, for example, in the, you know, he, the first place he goes is to the, the, the castle of the Counts Guidi, which are the, among the, the very oldest uh, Germanic noble stock in, uh, in, uh, in the Florentine territory. But they, they, don't, they don't come into Florence because you know, there's virtually a sentence on their head, a price on their head. Weren't, uh, weren't the Italians themselves guilty of inviting in. Of course, yeah. Yes. So it didn't just happen to No. It ha they, but in, in, in Machiavelli's analysis, A, the papacy is particularly guilty of this for inviting them in, and then B, the, of course, they do, have some, they do have some allegiance to Holy Roman emperors, and, but they come, they come uh, you know, careering in uh, with, their, with their guys. And then, of course, uh, these city-states won't fight their own battles, yeah. so they start, you know, the famous White Company uh, uh, comes, is hired by, by every side in these contests. And, of course, the man um, they called Giovanni Acuto, uh, Johnny Sharp, was the, uh, who his name, whose real name was Sir John Hawkwood, was the most famous, mur you know, an English small-time baronet but uh, who, uh, who had this incredible gang of thugs who would, who would read himself, and very, very competent. He, the Florentines finally, were, were finally hired him, and he died in great honor in, uh, in Florence, I believe. Okay. Yes? One other small question. What would have been competing political writings during Machiavelli's time? What would they be like? Well, they, for example, uh, earlier writings are like um, concentrated either, they were very Aristotelian, and you know, like you, you get, you get, uh, you get, uh, you get stuff by Thomas Aquinas, you get stuff by Dante on, in praise of monarchy and the, and in, uh, how to develop a, a kingdom that is stable and just. And Dante, by the way, is an extremely acute political thinker. I mean, it's a big mistake to, to, to under, undervalue Dante. Because Dante's living much earlier in this development. He's living two, you know, two, two, over 200 years uh, earlier. And thing, he lives in a... In a in, he's still, his mind is still focused on being a citizen in Florence where you're all sort of in this together. He hasn't yet developed this notion that that uh, there's a there's a ruling class with a with a corporation that rules independent, and he thinks that the role of Florence should be a kind of a, a semi-independent commonwealth under the emperor, you know, and the 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 big emphasis was either depending on your point of view, you were either an imperialist supporting supporting the vision of the the restored Roman Empire. Or you are a papalist supporting the authority of the Pope as God's vicar on earth, who could tell even emperors what to do in their own sphere of action. Because the popes will tell emperors, remember, we make you, we crown you, you don't crown yourself. And the emperor would say, yeah, that's right, but I can depose you because I've got the army. 
And that was essentially the until Machiavelli comes along. It's not that there's not that these people aren't don't have a lot of uh, that there's not a lot of very brilliant uh, political thought, but Machiavelli's thought is very uh, narrowly focused on the nature of power and st and stability. He chooses Rome for two reasons. There were Roman history one. Because he's, he's, it, this is what he's trained in, like every other well-educated person of his day. And, and, you know, by the way, he was, he was, he was by the standards of his time, Machiavelli was a, was a well-educated man. And, and by, by the way, one of the great Florentine writers of his day. Not just in politics, but he was a dramatist. And, uh, but secondly, because whether the the, uh, the 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 lady who writes the introduction to the Oxford edition is uh, emphasize it's all it, to her it's myth Machiavelli looked at it not as he looked at Roman history as the example <coughs> of a stable political society that endured and therefore if we want to know how to have enduring personal liberty and freedom for our own political commonwealth, the only way, the only place you can look is to the longest lasting, and of course, and obviously the greatest power that had ever existed in the world. In Machiavelli's world, there was nothing remotely as significant, either the, either the papacy or the Holy Roman Empire, as, as the Roman world had been. Okay. So it's the stability and longevity of the empire that is what makes it so important. What made the Roman Empire stable? What's his first reason? The people were virtuous. The people were virtuous. That is, and this is something over and over, this is, if there's only one lesson you can get out of studying Machiavelli, it's not these cliches you get from nice Rotary members who say, you know, George Washington believed that only a virtuous, God-fearing people could be free. That's true. But Machiavelli is looking much, much deeper than, than, than that kind of uh, civic rhetoric. That the character of the people, that, that everything hinges on the character of the people. If a people become corrupt, there's nothing you can do, basically. You, you are doomed because the, the baser human instincts of greed and envy and, uh, and sloth, all of these things will overwhelm a, a, a society. So how did, in the early days, he, he praises Romulus, you know, because he found, you know, Romulus founds Rome, and that's all good, but he praises Numa Pompilius even more for being a lawgiver because the virtue of a prince, and this is very important for Machiavelli, the virtue of a prince is one thing, that is his, his power, his brilliance, his, his forceful character. But if they don't, that brilliance is not expressed in laws and institutions that outlast him, then it's a flash of the pan. It's nothing. It's nothing. And so why, what, does, what, what is the source of Numa's strength? What does Machiavelli say about that? Why does Numa and other such leaders in Roman history, what is the source of their strength? Religion. Religion. The Romans are afraid of the gods, and they're therefore they're afraid to break their oath. If they make a promise, if they shake hands on a treaty, 
They have to keep it. They have rules of warfare. You know, they cheat. They, 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 they cheat around the edges. But essentially, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, just war theory. The Romans had a just war theory. Like, waging an unprovoked aggressive war puts you on the wrong side of heaven. And the gods will punish you and you will lose. So you, if you want to go to war with people, you wait for them to attack you. You know, how about, well, the, this idea of Saddam Hussein is building weapons of mass destruction <laughs> and, we're, and we're afraid that he might someday use them against somebody we might like. The Roman would say, you're going to lose. The gods don't like that. You're waging an unprovoked, unjustified war of aggression. So, uh, and, and it kept, it also was responsible for Roman morale. When the Romans went into war, they knew they were going to win because they had God on their side. He loves these stories about the Pululari. The Pululari are the uh, are augurs. And because before going to battle, you bring out the sacred chickens. And the sacred chickens, if they peck their food, then it's safe. It shows that they're, they're in touch with the divine forces. You go into battle. So one, one Roman general, the, the, the chickens don't peck. And so he just lies. And he says, the chickens pecked. And the augur says, no, they didn't. And the Roman general is smart. He says, let it be on my head. I, 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 I promise you they did. But if I am wrong, I will be the one to die. Not you. You will win. So the soldiers say, okay, let's go. And the first person killed by a lucky spear thrust is the augur, you know, who, who said that the chickens hadn't pecked the grain. And the general says, you see the penalty for lying. <laughs> well, Machiavelli loves this. Are you sure it wasn't friendly fire? <laughs> you know, from the... But the other story is the Claudius. It was a, what? It was a Marcus Claudius Polker. He it was during the during the uh, during the Punic Wars, and uh, so he's got the chicken on the uh, chickens. It's a naval battle. He's got the chickens on the boat. Well, oddly enough, the chickens are probably seasick, and the Claudii are proverbially arrogant. They spent five hundred years trying to take over Rome, you know, and finally, finally, Livia's first husband was a Claudius, a Nero, Claudius, Drusus, whatever. And so it's her, it's her child, Tiberius, that succeeds Augustus, and so the Claudians take over Rome finally. <clears throat> but so this Claudius said, so the chicken won't eat. And he says, well, <clears throat> if you don't eat, maybe you'll drink. And he, yes. throws, <laughs> and he throws the cage in the sea, and it's one of the worst Roman military disasters in history. And Machiavelli understands the story. This guy had, he had shown he was contemptuous of, of their religion, and he undermined the morale of his men. So, <clears throat> virtue, as protected by religion, is the essence of, of uh, you have to have the, the, the personal character for this to work. Uncorrupt people uh, elect George Washington as their president. Corrupt people elect Abraham Lincoln or Franklin Roosevelt or Bill Clinton. You know, 
the, 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 the character of the people is expressed in their, in their choices. And there's a, a book I, I always recommend to people. There's a very fine book. by It's James Burnham's best book. He was, of course, Burnham was one of the editors of National Review. He was the one really brilliant person at National Review. And he wrote a book called The Machiavellians. Beginning with Machiavelli, and then he talks about some of the Italians like, uh, like uh, Vilfredo Pareto, Gaetano Mosca. He talks about uh, Georges Sorel, uh, Roberto Michels. I mean, there are a number of people. The essence of these people is, first of all, that, 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 that it's a hard-boiled analysis of power, but it's an elite theory. And, you know, as, uh, you know, th they came up with what's called the iron law of oligarchy, la legge ferrea d'oligarchia. The iron law of oligarchy is there's only one form of government, and that's oligarchy. You say you've got a monarchy, well, where's the king? without having these loyal henchmen spread. To, he's, he's got a level of, of dukes and barons, and his power rests on. If he defies them, if he treats them like dirt, he ends up like King John or Richard II. You're out of power very quickly. Well, what about a democracy? Right. right. 300 million people are going to rule themselves. <laughs> so what you have is an oligarchy of a couple of thousand people at most who run everything in the United States. They own it. They control it. And they, they run it for their own benefit. So this line of thought, I mean, Machiavelli still believes there are three forms of government, you know, monarchy, uh, uh, democracy, and, uh, and oligarchy. But basically, he, what his initial insight is that the character of the people translates itself into the character of the leaders. And that what's it, the elite class is what, you know, the character of that elite is what is what defines a society. So if the society is healthy and virtuous, even oligarchy may be a good government? That's right, exactly. exactly. He, Machiavelli, deter, he, for him, there are lions among leadership classes, among elite classes. He said there are lions and foxes. Lions go out, char, you know, charge, lead their men in battle, you know, they meet the enemy, it's head-on, it's courageous, it's, it's honorable. Foxes are sitting back at home trying to, trying to wheedle. You know, Bill Clinton's a fox, you know. And, uh, and he says foxes will usually win in the end. The trouble is if foxes go up in a military campaign against a state run by lions, the li they think they can deal. You see, in the Kremlin, there are, there are moderate <laughs> forces, and... It's the, the mirror fallacy. They're in, the, in, in the Kremlin or in Cambodia, there are moderate forces, and if we learn to deal with the moderate opposition or the moderate Muslims in, uh, in such and such, yes. a, and that we deal with those, because see, this is, the, this is the vulpine, this is the fox mentality. There's always a deal to make. Whereas <laughs> the lion will just come in and rip your head off. So uh, this is part of a part of the great uh, contribution uh, made by. Uh... Now, let's see. It's six thirty-seven. Should we take a brief break? And because what I really want to talk about, I'm talking much too much. I want to talk about the, the 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 thing that has always fascinated me in the discourses, and it's his chapters on how a pe a people who secure liberty 
how precarious it is, how difficult it is to maintain, and how if a people are corrupt, how there's you can think of various ways they could regain their liberty, but it's frankly impossible. And the, how this applies to America over the past 125 years, I mean, if you want to understand the country we're living in and why electing uh, whoever it is won't matter, then this is the book you have to read. So let's take a brief break. Little wine, little food. That's exactly George what I was trying to say at lunch. That very point, the last point. It's not about the democracy. Okay. I'll try to keep this brief. Uh, one of Machiavelli's great contributions in this book one is his discussion of how the Romans got their liberty when they expelled the Tarquins. And uh, this is, of course, Brutus the Liberator and uh, Marcus Junius Brutus, the great, uh, who then became, for a brief time, you know, chief consul, etc., in, in Rome and was the ruler. And uh, in, Livy tells the story of how a group of young uh, Roman aristocrats, including the sons of Brutus, entered into a conspiracy to restore the Tarquins. The Tarquins, of course, were an Etruscan family, and clearly Rome was part of the Etruscan League, you know, at this time, ruled by an Etruscan uh, el el elite, or, you know, a Romano-Etruscan. It was a kind of a mixed thing. And... Um, and, uh, of course, uh, Brutus has to put his own sons to death. It's a very, you know, he's a very heroic, virtuous character. And the question is, how the difficulty, I think this is chapter 17, how a people who once achieves, you know, liberty, how, how the difficulty of maintaining it. And Machiavelli sketches, you know, it's, it's just a little sketch, but he puts forward this thesis that, in a society, most people want, including the nobility, most people want one thing. They want, basically, to be secure in their property and in their legal rights. They don't want much more. They, you know, you, you pays your taxes, you serves on your jury, you, you serves in the army, and then if there's something, you, the police protect you, the judicial system is not biased against you. All you want is, 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 is to be able to lead a decent life. Well, what about an aristocratic minority? Well, if they could overthrow Republican government, then uh, they would monopolize the resources of this community. So this minority has an overwhelming interest in the political process in trying to take it over. Whereas the majority, including many people who are wealthy in the majority, the majority, they, you know, 15 minutes a day, you know, you turn on the news and you listen to the political news and that's enough. And you go out and vote. Whereas for the, for the minority, and in, his, in this case we're just talking about this aristocratic minority, they'll devote them 10 hours a day to taking power. Now, the principle is actually capable of much broader application because, let's suppose, you're in a labor union. Now, you, you, 
most people don't care about labor law or what, what goes on. They just want to be able to pay a fair price and get fair goods or whatever. The labor union, however, is single-mindedly devoting to advancing the interests of the leaders of the labor movement, and they have to, 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 for their interests to be advanced, they have to be doing something, at least this is in the old days, for, for, for the members. What about a group of environmentalists? What about welfare-dependent black people? What about unwed mothers who want to have free abortions? Every one of these the organizations develop, of my, you know, minority rights organizations, in which it is in their interest, and especially in the interests of the group leaders, to, do, to spend a 50-hour week trying to seize power. Now, because there are so many conspiracies in America, it's not just the sun, not just people who support the Tarquins. Although sometimes, if you listen to NPR, it sounds that way. Uh, it's not just a few, you know, not just people supporting the right of the Harvard professoriate to rule the world. Um, but it, it's it's dozens and dozens and dozens of little minority groups, each competing for power. Interestingly, there was at the University of Virginia and I think at the University of Maryland, there was a, an economist called Mansur Olson. And he wrote a book called The Logic of Collective Action, in which he said, he, he, uh, he argued that uh, in modern governments, minorities work overtime to get their piece of the pie because they, because there's a logic involved here, because they get disproportionately more out of this than does the, uh, than the majority. So the majority pay no attention to it, and the minority are scheming all the time, and of course dozens of minorities. And eventually, he says, like, in a, in a well-developed democracy, you have so many minority groups. You've got labor groups, capitalist groups, environmentalists, gun owners, black groups, feminist groups, homosexual groups, transgender groups. You get so many that they all cancel each other. They're, they're, you can't change anything. You can't have any productive change because the, because the system is owned and controlled. And hence you have legislative gridlock. And Olson went further... I shouldn't talk so much about Mansfield, but Bolson went further in a later book, uh, which is called The Rise and Decline of Nations, and he said, look, the best thing that could happen to you is to have your, your material and, and bureaucratic infrastructure destroyed, because then you could start over from scratch and you wouldn't have all this. Well, is there a, a textbook, is there a laboratory example? Yeah, Japan and Germany. We not only bombed them to smithereens, but their whole infrastructure, their whole, you know, their whole system was destroyed. So which countries had the biggest economic miracle in the 1950s, Germany and Japan? Well, then when did they start to fizzle? Well, when they got too much democracy and they had minority rights politics. So I'm reading these books. This is about 10, 15 years ago. I'm reading these books. <clears throat> I wrote Mansur Olson. I figured I wouldn't get an answer because, you know, authors don't write it. And I said, how, do, how, uh, do you, how much did Machiavelli influence you on this? Because this is the central insight of the discourses, what you're talking about. This is exact. And he said, I've never read Machiavelli. <laughs> he never read the discourses. But he had, he had just come upon this 
you know, independently as a, as a scientific thinker. So my point is that something that Machiavelli figured out by reading Livy, Mansur Olson in the 1980s was figuring out by studying, you know, by studying economic behavior of governments in our own time. What's that title again? Logic the, the, of... the Logic of Collective Action. So the problem uh, of, of minorities we have uh, in, in, in the Roman Republic and why they, why, why elitist minorities, and believe me, there's no, nothing so elitist as a movement on behalf of the poor, uh, <laughs> how elitist minorities take over. We have, the, we have the sons of Brutus, of course. Later on, near the end of book one, he talks about the decemviri. Uh, at one point, the Romans figured they needed new laws, and so they uh, they appointed board of ten, and they you know they go to they go to uh, they go to Greece to study, and then they come back and they pass the they pass ten laws, ten, ten, the ten tables, and then they pass two others later. But but Appius Claudius gets is the youngest member, and he gets himself reelected because everybody figures he's a, he's feeble. And then he manages to get every, everybody on his side, and he rules like a dictator. And it's when he uh, tries to rape this girl, Virginia, he declares she's a slave, and her father comes and stabs her. Her father's a war hero, plebeian war hero, comes and stabs his daughter to death so she will not be uh, out <clears throat> and, and starts a revolution and it, it overthrows them because there is, there is heroic, decent... Republican virtue in the in the Roman people, and, um, and 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 this puts an end to that. But but the same thing happens. He says, you know, because Appius Claudius was smart enough to know that you be, began his career by by catering to the poor. I'm your friend, you know, because he's a Roman aristocrat of the highest level. But he was affable and friendly. You know, hi, my name's John F. Kennedy, you can call me Jack. And then, you know, you go from one step to the other. But then once in power, he, he, you, he confiscated the property of people that didn't like him. Namely, he had the modern equivalent is you have tax policies to soak the productive. And then he gave the money to, to young noblemen to buy their support. And uh, a process which which will later be on be called by Henry Sumner Maine the new corruption. Maine says that once upon a time the king would buy votes in Parliament. That was the old corruption. The new corruption is the 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 Senate and President of the United States tax the the productive and take their money and give it away to people who don't work, and then he, they they buy themselves a, a dictatorship. By the way, this book is written. Uh, po uh, popular government is written in the 1880s. He figured it, he figured this out. That's another great book to read. Uh, Maine. Ma Henry Sumner Maine's Popular Justice, uh, popular popular government. Maine is one of the I think the uh, the best of the. We call him conservative, but he was actually a li liberal Whig. But he was a disgruntled liberal Whig and an expert on uh, on Indian society and that is uh, you know. Red Dot Indian uh, social customs and legal systems because he spent many years as a colonial judge in India and learned a, 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 a tremendous amount. 
But these are people, again, Machiavelli, Mansur Olson, people like Henry Sumner Maine or Fitzjames Stevens. These are people who look at reality, and they're not blinded by slogans. Well, we're we basically running out of time. The the we could talk obviously for hours and years on this. The Machiavelli raises the question, what do you do when a people is corrupt? What are the prospects for rescuing them? And he says, well, on the one hand, you could have a series of gradual reforms. He said, well, you know, you're going to be blocked at every turn. Nobody's going to go along with that. And he says, well, what about a coup d'etat? You have a, a prince, principe, comes in and seizes power. And a good, a good example would be Sulla. You know, in the at the uh, end of the Roman Republic, yeah. Sulla seizes power, imposes rules, and uh, Machiavelli. I don't even mention Sulla, but what happens, of course, is that by the time Sulla is dying, his chief lieutenants have plotted to overthrow all the good he did. Pompey and Crassus are standing for office before they're eligible, and and he says, the prince, the the only way a prince can do this is by creating institutions that will outlast him. But he said, what is the like Somebody who seizes power, what is the likelihood that that person has that kind of virtue? You know? I mean, let's suppose you liked Adolf Hitler or whatever he wanted to do. What's the likelihood that Hitler or Stalin or any one of these guys will have the, <clears throat> the vision and the virtue and the selflessness to create institutional structures that will outlast them? And, yet, and a good example, the best example I can think of is General Franco. You know, Franco tried his best, you know. But what was life like? <clears throat> I, I, I was not in Spain in, in Franco's life. Uh, but I know somebody who lived there, and that's Bill Buckley's brother, Reed. And uh, whom I used to know slightly in South Carolina. And Reed Buckley actually wrote a novel called Servants and Their Masters about life in Franco, Spain. And it's a bordello. I mean, it's an absolutely hedonistic, just, you know, de degenerate place because Franco couldn't reform the corruption that had overtaken the Spanish people. And so as soon as Franco was dead and this little king he had coddled, you know, comes to power, it's all undone. And it reminds me, you know, when I was first thinking about politics... We were talking. We used to talk about the Constitution, how the, you know, restore the Constitution. Clyde Wilson said to me, he said, "You do understand that the Constitution of Liberia is word for word the Constitution of the United States. Yes. When the slaves, the slaves got sent to, back to Liberia to be, you know, liberated, they then just took. They had the um, U.S. Constitution, and then they just enslaved all the natives in Liberia." <laughs> And, uh, he's, and then Clyde made a, a, a just a one-sentence formula. Constitutions do not make people. People make constitutions. And that is precisely the Machiavellian insight, that the way you live, the Constitution is not a piece of paper. It's the way you, you conduct your public business together. You know, the British had no written constitution. The Romans had no written constitution. The Athenians had no written constitution. But they had a way, they had a way in which they, they, they conducted their public business together. And it depends on the character of the people.
of time. Unfortunately, that begs the question: what we, What's going to happen to right. you know our society and culture now? Well, look I see at, it as pretty corrupt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look at look at if look, look, look America, the look, the so-called founding generation, which is a very terrible phrase because America was not founded. The Fr the French. The, 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 the French Republic was founded by a bunch of Jacobin revolutionaries. You know, the Soviet Union was founded by a bunch of revolutionaries. You, anytime you have a state that's being, quote, founded in the modern world, you have an ideological project. We had nothing like that. We had, and we didn't even have a revolution in the, in the technical sense of the word. We had a war of secession. We withdrew from exactly, the yes. authority of crown and parliament. Yes. And in the process of withdrawing, we had to find institutions that were compatible with our experience. And these were, like, for example, the colonial legislatures became state legislatures. Colonial appointed governors became governors usually elected by the legislature. And then there was a Confederate Congress established because it was like a... Uh, yeah, like the United States... Like the European Union. It was, you know, a, uh, a treaty organization. It wasn't a nation state. And so the people, the people's liberties were secured by the fact that they had votes. They could especially vote directly for members of the House of Representatives, whereas the rights of property and, uh, and social accomplishment were, were reflected in the apportionment of the states and the fact that the states generally uh, their method of, was indirect election for the Senate. I mean, it was a balanced system, and it resulted in George Washington as president. The American Cincinnatus. The only good, the only good idea Gary Wills ever had was the idea that George Washington was. Well, it's not. It, it's a reality. George Washington thought he was the American Cincinnatus, the great Roman Republican ver hero who was. I said, you must become dictator and lead us in war. He took off his, his, uh, his, his, he put down the plow, he took his, his farm clothes on, dressed himself for war, went off and defeated the enemy, came back, and without bothering to stop to kiss his wife, went back and took up the plow. Hence, there, we, we, in America, they founded the Society of the Cincinnati, which was Washington's former officers. We are men of virtue who sacrificed for their country and who deserved to have a place in governing the country as Washington did. Of course, it was immediately denounced as a kind of aristocratic conspiracy. So we start with, with, with Cincinnatus. We start with Washington. Within a, within a generation, we're down to Jackson appealing to the people because he's popular. Now, now Jackson's not a bad person. He's not our worst president. But you know, Machiavelli says, what happened? You start by people electing the best people, the best leaders, because they are the ones who are capable and co courageous and virtuous, and they, they sacrifice for the people. Before long, they're electing people they like because of their charm, right? Or what they promise. Yeah, and what, and then they start electing people who are rich because they can give them things, they <laughs> buy their votes, and eventually they elect people who have the who monopolize the power. They, they own, and because they and their followers, they have the power, and that's all that counts. So, under those circumstances, what is the, li what is the likelihood of turning this around? Well, 
Machiavelli was part of such an experiment. They kick out the Medici, and, and believe me, Florence had not gone one-tenth of the far as we have gone, <coughs> because they didn't have a welfare-dependent class. They, they, there, the, the, the merchants were still pretty much running, running everyday life <coughs> in Florence. But uh, they, the, 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 the rotten... Uh, the rotten grandson, the rotten uh, son, excuse me, of uh, Lorenzo de' Medici gets kicked out, <clears throat> and they try to rule independently. They elect uh, Piero Soderini Gonfalieri, the standard bearer for life, and so it's a kind of dictatorship position. There's some criticism. Machiavelli, who is a close colleague of Soderini's, there's some criticism of him for having cultivated too much popular support, but I mean, it's really difficult. They have to fight wars on all sides. Machiavelli reorganizes the militia so that they, they don't have to hire mercenaries. It's a great experiment in restoring Republican government. And maybe if they weren't up against the Medici control of the papacy and against the Holy Roman Empire, both at the same time, maybe they might have succeeded. What are we going to do? There's, there's some important differences. The, the, the ship is much larger to turn. Yeah. Oh, no, that's right. We can't. We're, we're, yes, we're, 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 we're nowhere in a position. Of they had hope. I don't see any hope for us. I agree with you entirely. 300 million people? And the global reach that yeah. Florence that could not dream about. And, right. 300, and 300 million people. How many people in the United States? How many families? Let's say 300 million people is, I don't know, 70 million families. How many of those families are next net tax payers as opposed to tax consumers? Maybe half. Yeah, at half. most half. Right. At most half. And of those, how many of those people are working for government contractors? Growth industry. And yeah. no, government. Uni no unifying culture that Florence yeah. had. Yeah. Exactly. No unifying very, culture, very, no unifying language, no unifying religion. Yes. yes. No unifying. See, the Byzantine Empire was full of uh, bizarre different peoples and things, but you had, to, you had to speak Greek, you had to accept the Orthodox religion and speak Greek. And if you did that, then you could be treated like a citizen of the empire. What we're, we have multiculturalism. We have a denial of unity is the only thing that yes. unifies mm -hmm. us. Yes. Self-hatred is the only thing we can bank on. I saw a new word today, uh, Americhobe. Mm. And it's defined by liking anything that isn't American yeah. more than what America. Oh, <laughs> boy, is that around? <laughs> I find around one, another, another important West difference that, take it that Machiavelli <laughs> could not have dreamed about mm. is the and that how the uh, people's uh, people are influenced the the the, yeah. the the emergence of the media oh absolutely yes. uh, and and who controls that yeah. the power of influence yeah, yeah. How, pe how people think and that that goes back to uh, the, the today the media that is the entertainment media the news media every and, and even the educational media the, the schools yes. and universities no. yeah. they 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 this is like the, po the power of the Catholic Church under the Inquisition to the tenth power. To the tenth power. Yes, very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes? Uh, one thing, and I'm, only, I'm sorry I didn't read more than book one. 
his essential, never forget the essential wickedness of man. It's yes. the one thing you can bet on. And all his examples are of limited numbers. You yes, yes. And I think the only thing that can possibly happen in this country is absolute implosion. Yeah. And the way it is now, it's going to be really violent and, and but all these different groups. The Don Livingston it. solution, as opposed to the Art Livingston solution. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Did you plan this solution? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm with Don. Yeah. No, no, but I, I think four or five different sections. Even that. Look, the state of Illinois is too big to be a country. Exactly. It's too big. And especially, maybe the state of Illinois without Chicago. Yeah. Make Chicago a self-governing city-state that can't get a dime from the rest of us. Exactly. And yeah, let them works. kill each other. And then maybe the rest of us. Two different cultures anyway, right? What? No, you're not there. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the six counties were settled by Puritans. Makes it, make it uh, D.C., District of uh, Chicago. District of yeah. Chicago, exactly. District of Chirac. Gene. Gene. Well, <clears throat> this, the Taylor case has been gnawing me for a long time. Is this uh, verdict? Is the verdict of the Smith Barrymore case this last yes week? This is the the the, the Barmore case. Bar, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Bar the Barmore case. And, and if that ever, I think is a description of how far, how corrupt we are, how far we have fallen. Um, this is a case for people who are going to listen to this on, the, uh, on a podcast. This is a case where a young thug, a member of a family that even, I know members of his, a member of his family who says he's ashamed to, be, to have that his mother's name was Barmore because they're all thugs. He was a. Uh, uh, they got a, the police got a call of domestic violence, and so they go to, to, to. They want to ask him a question. He runs into a church basement and he attacks the cop. You know, tries to get the gun away. The cop shoots him, and now, now the uh, the the verdict came of awarding damages to the to the daycare center where the people lied about what they saw and then fled the state rather than testify. I understand that the awards were to the children. The children. I thought it was the children and the workers it's and the daycare workers. It's both, yeah. but it's to the children that witnessed yes. this act of violence that Which the daycare center opened the door for. Yes. Let, let yeah. the man they in. let the man in because they're because it's a thug church, a thug daycare center, and and they and of course and they 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 simply lied and then they went to Disney World when they were supposed to be testifying and they're not in jail. <laughs> And, and, and you wonder um, how much, and somebody brought this up, um, how much these children were fed yeah. over and over and over about you witnessing this violence. Now, I don't believe that children are as resilient as everybody says yeah. they are, therefore they can survive wars right. and everything else. Right. However, um, they still could have survived well with the, with the right kind of love and yeah. and uh, being busy, you know, right. The, you right. know, normal behavior. The last thing they needed was a trial like this. Yeah, oh. exactly. And I loved it that, uh, I thought, 
while I didn't like the, uh, the decision at all that anybody got anything, but I thought it was a slap in the face at that pastor who asked for, what, $850,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. got zero, yeah. and it was a daycare uh, leader, wanted a million and a half, yeah. she got zero, yeah. but three of the parties all had the same last name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but, but to think of what that does to... Um, I think it was the pastor's wife and daughter or something yeah. involved. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who went off to Disneyland. Yeah, they were the ones who went off to Disneyland. But why would you want to be a cop and maintain civility in, in a city where that kind of a, right. a, a thing even has to come to court? court. Well, so, some of you know that I, uh, I was invited to go to a major Midwestern city a couple of months ago to meet with a, a policeman who was famous in the news for a while. But he was looking for somebody to help him write his memoir, and uh, because his uh, life, his career had been put to an end because he had uh, shot a thug who uh, was uh, he was trying to stop, and uh, the guy attacked him, and he said, you, you, "He said you have to understand that just in the past couple of years, the rules have been rewritten." And so a policeman who defends his life or tries to enforce the law will find his career over and, and, uh, and himself on trial for, for simply doing the right thing. And he said and it's not as if the, you know, there aren't many bad cops. It's not as if the poli uh, urban police forces aren't fairly rotten. But he said, really, when, all, when you just try to do the right thing and, and, and in the end protect your life from a, from a gigantic person who is always described as a harmless youth. Gentle <laughs> John. Yeah. So, uh, and he just said he, he hoped that he could spend the rest of his life advising police forces on how they could devise strategies to protect the public and themselves without themselves facing the threat of arrest and imprisonment. But, but this will further demoralize the police force. Of course, yeah, of course, that is the objective. Right. Yes. That yes. is the objective, yes. to make, to make yes. sure they will not. Because the whole purpose of the Black Lives Matter movement, it seems to me, is to make sure that they can commit any crime, any crime whatsoever, and that it's justified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and not only demoralizing the police force, it's demoralizing, I believe, to every law-abiding citizen. Right. Of course. Right. Everybody is, I think, affected. And, and Rockford is such a corrupt city. And, yes. and we have a lot of rural crime. Yeah. And we live out in the sticks. And I'm amazed. What kind of crime do you have in the rural uh, area? People breaking in farmhouses. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't feel and, really. And theft. Yeah. And, I did not know and, this. Uh, 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 a farmhouse just up the road, barely half a mile. Uh, was broken into, and, and they have a lot of guns. We can hear the target oh, shoot all summer. Their guns are all gone. Half a mile from my house. So I'm sorry? Somebody talk. And farm equipment. I think you're if, right. If you're really well organized, they, they steal yeah. tractors, sure. they steal stuff like sure. that. That's stuff, you're talking Those hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of yes. equipment. Well, that's, that's on the organized side of things, yeah. but I don't, I don't know if you're aware of the heroin epidemic that's going on. I mean, Rock, Rockford has like 150 heroin overdoses every year, yeah. uh, and it's it's replaced 
it's so cheap, it's replacing methamphetamines and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Heroin is the new yeah. painkiller addiction. So it's mm-hmm. taken over from the meth lab? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, see, we cracked down on domestic meth labs. So that raised the price, so that now most of the meth comes in from Mexico, but the heroin dealers are now in a competitive, uh, competitive, it's a competitive product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Competitive better product, cheap, yeah. cheap. And, and then you see there must be an increased the, the supply of heroin in, in order to bring down the price. Yes, true. Released on the years ago. Sure, they, sure. They get away with murder, multiple murders, yeah. in fact. Yeah, literally. Yes. Now, back to Machiavelli. Yes. Now, all I remember is never forget the hopelessly wicked character of man. And, and, and that's very good. But then it, it's impossible not to read this and think of our current political situation and that maybe we will fragment. But he also says if a people is corrupt, you can't bring them back to a no. virtue. Only a tyrant can do it. Only a tyrant can do that. And when he's for gone, what are you going yeah, to do? Yeah, for one gener- for his, for for, if he's a great tyrant, a great man, he can do it for, you know, 10, 20 years. But my husband and I have talked about, you know, what if suddenly, for various reasons, it's not impossible that the electrical grid to Rockford disappears. How about the whole country? <laughs> right, which is not impossible, and and it may be selectively done. But that aside, what is going to happen? We remember. I'd like those guns those people stole from the yeah. farmer. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's a lot. good start. Weapons we, are needed in the house. Exactly, exactly. And then, my husband and I remember. Oh, is it ten years ago now? We had a. Stupid, crazy storm that took out the so-called the, level wind or whatever. Level wind took out the electricity for a week. You mean the microburst? The microburst, yeah. Um, thank you, the microburst. All right. So what happens? My husband brings up the grill, puts it out front of the porch. He's cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner as if we were. On we're a cleaning up there. Trip. We got all these fall, deadfall from the uh, so. Right. We can, uh-huh. we're, we're functioning fine. Besides, then we you need hear to use on up the, the radio, food in the refrigerator. Yeah, <laughs> battery-operated radios that they're all calling in, and Chris Bowman was still alive then, uh, and people are calling to say, there's water available at this and this store and stuff like that. And I remember people calling in saying, we haven't had a hot meal in a week. Oh. What do we do? How come my link card won't give us a hot meal? Yeah, and <laughs> how come you know? And it's just you people. I saw those people on the east side. They're all cleaning up their yards and cutting up the Why wood. Why don't they, Why do don't they come over to the west side? side and clean up my yard? Right. You know, I, really, and they couldn't hear themselves talk. No, no. But the truth is, so demoralized are so many people that they can't take care of themselves in any sort yeah. of an emergency. Well, Machiavelli did not imagine. No, he knew he there were such people as this. He didn't imagine that you would ever give them the right to vote or have exactly. political influence. I want to we can continue talking, but I want to I want to turn our tape off after just making one final comment which is that, you know, talking about evil, the evil rulers, evil corruption, of course, we 
if you read Shakespeare, you think of Richard III, who, who right. calls himself a Machiavelli, right. you know, Maybe. because, you see, because the image of Machiavelli in literature ever since has been the person who advocates these sinister mm -hmm. techniques Making of control. Right. Now, the, the, there's a reason why this happens, because, as I said, Machiavelli saw the birth of the modern state in miniature, in advance, in Italy. And he describes it, and he describes how it functions. And in The Prince, he describes how a Cesare Borgia or how a Medici or how anybody will, will use certain techniques of control, have his way, and exploit things. This is how Henry VII and Henry VIII built the Tudor state. It's how the French monarchy built their state. And ultimately, it's how Hitler and Stalin built their states. Now, when somebody has blown the whistle on you in advance, it's very important to demonize that person. It's very important to make sure nobody will ever read Machiavelli because he's evil. And his evil consists in telling the truth about the nature of the modern state from the moment of the state's conception. And that's why we have... And, of course, unfortunately, conservatives and Catholics are suckers, and they have fallen. Because here's the thing about American conservatives especially, but British and American conservatives both. You begin by believing everything the left says, and then you say, I'm against it. So you begin by believing everything the left says about, <clears throat> well, you know, Louis XVI was a bad king. You know, the czars were, had an evil regime, and it would have been right to overthrow them, but not the way it happened. Not the way it happened. So, it, and, and of course, everything that the left has said is a lie. It's, 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 a, it's one great historical lie. But if you have a truth teller like Machiavelli, it's important to demonize him as somebody you'd better not read him because he's like the Marquis de Sade. He's a sick and evil person. Thank you. Thank you.